Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And we are cock-a-hoop this evening. We're recording this on Sunday evening, the 30th of January, and what a day it was for Canadian soccer. Canada on the verge of reaching their first World Cup finals since 1986. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at the two games that's been played in the last few days as well. We're going to be looking at the path ahead. We're going to be hearing from Zach, who's not on the show live. He is in Hamilton at the moment. He was at live the game. There. Yep. <laughs> he was live. live at the game. <laughs> he was live at the game this afternoon, so we're going to get some of his thoughts in the second part, just about from being at the game. And then parts three and four, we'll be turning our attention to the Whitecaps, but with a Canadian national team theme, because we're going to be talking to, to St. Ricketts. Then we'll be looking at the imminent transfer of Theo Bear to the Scottish Premier League. And then we didn't get a chance to, to talk to Steve last week about the breaking news that Max Cripple was moving to LA, so we'll, we'll look at that in part four as well. But yeah, in this part, we are going to look at Canada, their wins against Honduras, the win against the US, exciting stuff, slightly tempered for me by the fact that I have done my back in, and I, I, I'm in excruciating pain at the moment, not as much as when Steve called me this afternoon and we were talking, it's amazing what pain pills can, can do for you. Uh, so hopefully they last for the whole thing. If I do move slightly in the wrong direction and I let out a scream, I will just keep it in so people can share my pain because I did wake my wife up at five o'clock this morning with that and she wasn't able to get back to sleep again. So she's away for a nap just now. This might be her best chance to get that. But yeah, my, my pain, it was numbed, I think, by, by watching Canada beat the US today. But we're, we're going to start just by, by looking at the, the game on Thursday in Honduras and just what these two games mean for Canada. Because right now, Steve, Canada, they're on the verge of reaching their first World Cup, as I said, since 1986. It looked at one point that they might have been able to clinch a spot on Wednesday if results had gone their way, but they, they didn't quite work out that way. So it'll probably be the not, next window. Yeah, not mathematically, but... 
it's like based on who the fourth place team is playing, Prano is playing in their the two of their four games, it's very close to clinching. Yeah. I mean, like let's let's be honest. They're they're at the World Cup in Qatar as it, far it, as I'm it concerned. It have to be a massive disaster, like uh, like complete collapse, if they don't make it at this point. Yeah, and, and they've got a home game against Jamaica in there, which yeah, I mean, you would be guaranteeing three points from that one. And so, the, and, and the thing and the thing is, is if that does happen, hopefully it doesn't the collapse. I don't think we'll ever recover from this. Like that. <laughs> the, 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 oh man, can you imagine what that would do mentally to? To oh focus being long-suffering fans that, that yeah. have lived through the eight ones and all the heartbreak, but that's not going to happen. So there's not even any yeah. point looking at that, because as of right now, Canada have a four-point lead at the top of the octagonal Concacaf World Cup qualifying. Played ten, won six, drawn four, twenty-two points. It, it's crazy. Four points ahead of the US and Mexico, 17 goals for, five goals against. I think even in our wildest dreams, Steve, this has gone better than we ever imagined. Yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine. Like, like it, forget wildest dreams. I don't think I could even have a dream like like at this level of where we are, of where Canada is right now. Every time this team plays, it's like, it, it's like, it is another level higher than what I expect. Like, like I thought, okay, let's go for the draw in Honduras. They come out with a win. I yeah. go, then I go, then I'm okay with the draw because they won there. I'm okay with the draw against the U.S. They they win here. They're, they're this is probably their weakest on paper, their weakest roster that they have because they're missing two of their probably best players, and and they're still pulling. It could be their best window out of all of them as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they can get three wins from this, that is just so massive. I mean, right now... Well, it's over. It's essentially over if they get three wins. Not mathematically, like we said, but it is over because... I mean, folk have talked talked about 24. 24 is like the points to get to. So a win against El Salvador takes you you to the... almost the the promised land. But right now, there's 16 games unbeaten in World Cup qualifiers, and it's a five-game winning streak, having beaten Panama, Costa Rica, Mexico, and the US by scores of 11 to 2. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, I they got they got the best differential easily in the in the, in the groups. Which is uh, a point in group. itself. That's like a yeah. bonus point for you. Yeah, so it's, it's just, um, like, yeah, I, I, like, I can't say enough good things about this team and the players on this team. We'll obviously get more into it, but it's just amazing to see like the way they, like I in the like I personally did not think they were the like I thought there was like a, a draw against the U.S. considering who they were missing was best case scenario. That's honestly what I thought, yep. and 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 they proved me wrong again. I mean, I would have, I would have taken a, a draw against the U.S. as, as well. Yeah. That that's the thing, but if we rewind it to Honduras on Thursday. I mean, as well, you're going from like, what, 25 degrees to it was minus four, feeling yeah. like minus 12 today. That's a hell of a, a swing it's in temperatures. For, it's a good for their circulation, though. Oh, yeah. Hot to cold, hot to cold, hot to cold. <laughs> but I mean, Honduras, there's the, the ghosts of that 8-1 yeah. that hangs about. And and like the wind down there doesn't get rid of, of that ghosts. I mean, it makes you feel a bit better. But I mean, that is still a, a low point in the, in, in the program from from recent memory so I mean it doesn't undo all that 
But they went down there. I'd have taken a draw in this. I, I genuinely would have been fine if they'd drawn this. But they went away. They got their first win in Honduras since August 25th, 1985. George yep. Pacos, BC lad, scored the goal that day. And it's it's something that we've talked a lot with Colin and Will from TSS about how back in those days it was a BC-heavy Canada roster. And now you don't even have a BC-born player in the team. But change days in, in many ways, that just being one of them. But going down to Honduras and winning one of the change days, having a team that is just on fire is another. 21 and a half years later, kicked off in the 10th minute with uh, an own goal from Honduras. But all down to the great work from Tejon Buchanan, who, I mean... He was dangerous throughout, but that ball that he put in was fantastic. Turned into his own net by the defender, eased some of the pressure on the nerves right away, and you're thinking, "Yep, here we go." Yeah, and you know how I like coming up with weird stats that make made up stats like phantom saves and <laughs> um, ultimate clean sheets. I came up with another one here. Uh, it's called EOG, and that means earned old own goal. It was an earned own goals because he, but Buchanan earned it basically. I like that. Yep. He, he got, the way he, the way he made it into the box, got past his defender and flew. Like I don't know if he thought, you know, would it be able to get to? The, I can't remember who the attacking player was. Maybe it was Laren. It was possibly Laren uh, on the on the, in the box and Thank behind him by the hunters. I don't know if he, but I figured that the the pace he put on that cross that he thought just like get it in there and see what happens. That's what it felt like to me. And it, it did happen. The Hunters player really had nothing to do. He couldn't no. do anything with it. It was either going to get past him or it's going to be hard based on the trajectory of the ball. It was going to be hard for him to clear it. So it was going in the net or going to Laren at that point. It felt very much like a Whitecaps own goal, a kind of Andy Rose or Ranko Veselinovic yeah. own goal that we saw last season because a few of them just hit off and, and went in. But I mean, Buchanan, I mean, it, it was great. After that, I mean, I, I felt comfortable. I thought, ah, when that went in, I thought that's that's the three points, and Honduras did well, and we'll we'll come to some of their their chances, or in particular Milan Borian. But I mean, yeah. the, the game was wrapped up in the the seventieth minute, seventy third minute, and it was a superb finish from Jonathan David. Lovely ball forward. David well, did everything right. The the pace, the skill, the lob. Oh. Two touches, yeah. The two touches, all one off his head, one off. I can't remember. It's just everything is. I'm like drawing a blank. I'm so like in a fever right now after these two games. <laughs> um, but Liam Fraser, you're right. The ball was fantastically placed. Like this guy, we saw him at Whitecaps Academy. He was one of the guys that complained about the the Whitecaps Academy at that time. Went good, good move on him to get to TFC, and from there going on to Europe. Um, yep. Even. But if you think of it, TFC, they went to TFC. TFC gave up on him too, kind of, because he loaned him out to Columbus at one point. Yeah. Um, so, so like, th- th- it's it's a matter of, like, the, hopefully, the, like, in the future, we can identify these players better. Uh, not just the Whitecaps, but, like, other Canadian co- countries, co- teams, because it feels like they until they get to Europe, they're not, like, respected by their own clubs. In, in Canada or something like that. It kind of feels that way. Although Herdman even as well, though, has talked a lot about like the, the quality that you get in Europe. And like Fraser's just in the second tier in Belgium and some folk have yeah. poo-pooed that. That's still a good level of football no, it's that a good, he's playing It's a at. good level, especially going first year in Europe. You're like, you don't want to 
when you're when you're not really finding a place here in, in North America, you don't want to go to the top level yeah. in, in Europe. You want to kind of ease your way into that top level. Um, but uh, like he, the way he's come on, like even I think it was 2019, he came on at, against the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. the tw- Remember that win they had in 2019 and he came on as a sub and he played so well. So he, like his ball against Honduras, just fantastic. Um, and 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 like you said, Jonathan David took two touches, able to lob the ball. He could have like that. He had a chance earlier than that too when he was like one on one, where he kind of muddled up the 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 strike and he could easily pass the keeper and put it in, slot it in. But who cares? He got the he actually got his goal at that point. Just and the time, the chances they had, like him and Laren. They just couldn't connect early in the uh, late in the first half too. There was moments where they were going back and forth, uh, and the, there was a time I think Laren couldn't square the ball to him or something like that. So it's good to see him get the goal there, um, and and just yeah, the, like not expecting it too because like how often do Canada forget? Like you said, eighty five was when the last time they won, but even getting a result in Central America, this yeah. it's rare for them. Yeah, no matter who even in play. the places like El Salvador and stuff like that, yeah. they've struggled and. Yeah, it's it's a different team. It, it's it's not your mom and dad's Canada. It's yeah, certainly it's not your not, granddad's Canada. It's definitely not your mom and dad's uh, Honduras either. That that probably plays a part too. In there. Yeah, that's that is very true. They've been a pretty disappointing in this campaign, uh, and the fans have have let them know it. And I mean that helped in a way. It wasn't a full packed stadium. It wasn't as hostile as it probably could have been. But they, they showed glimpses, Honduras. Yeah. And yep. Borian, I mean, he had he had a number of saves. There was one in the fifty eighth that was an important one because, I, again, if you'd let them back in the game, who knows what happened? But then huge one in the seventieth minute, three minutes before Canada got their second, and then three minutes into stoppage time, another fantastic stop from him, and the, that one in the seventieth, that one in the ninety third like diving saves. But what was really good about them as well is he he clawed the ball away out of danger. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of goalkeepers need to learn to do more. A lot of them make the spectacular save, but you've got the rebound. Yeah. And sometimes you save the rebound and then you make your double save and you look great. But Milan, for those two saves in particular, was so good at just making sure that the ball went far from goal and was removed from danger. It's a it's a certain skill that keepers need to develop where they make the save but also direct the save into uh, a, a it's a, it's a lot uh, uh you have it in uh, ice hockey uh where it's not just enough to make the save you have to direct it to a, a, a safe to play and the same thing with keepers in in soccer they just need to get that ball on the hand on the ball but they need to know what to do with the ball as well. And that's very important. I think a, I think a, 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 if you have a volleyball background, uh, you could be a pretty mm. good uh, soccer keeper. I think that's a that's a very good combination if you if you ever play volleyball. If you want to be a soccer keeper, play volleyball as well because you need yeah. to know where to put the ball. I played a bit of volleyball in high school. I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, but for me, Milan Borian was the the man of the match in in that game, and I was watching that and. We're going to talk about Max Crapole leaving in, in the last part, but I, I put forward, oh, we should make a play for, for Borian, and Axel was like, no, no, no. And other folk were like, why would you want to bring an old man in when you've got a young keeper? That's the future. 
games like this show you why you want to bring someone like Milan Borian in. Yeah, he's maybe not the best with the ball at his feet, and so many goalkeepers are like that. But he, and he showed it against the US again today as well, he's on his top form right now. Top form, he's, he, he's almost a leader uh, at the keeper position. Um, that helps the back line as well when you're doing that. Um, uh, and obviously you've seen it, he's a leader in that sense, but also emotional leader. And he gets the t- t- the crowd into the game too. Um, I, I, oh, yeah. I watched a couple. Today I was amazing. The, I watched a couple of post game shows just to get a, a kind of a sense of what other people are saying, um, uh, especially the US ones, because I really wanted to see them suffer. Um, <laughs> but I've mentioned that in the past. I like watching them after. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's Heath Pierce that does the uh, uh, does the show with uh, Jimmy Conrad. He was he was so upset at Millie Borean. He didn't even say his name. Because of the way he goes, his antics and stuff like that. So that was fun to watch that stuff. Well, like his, his antics in Honduras, I loved as well. It was like top level Concacaf shithousery, going yeah. down like oh, oh injury, just killing some time, killing the game, killing the pace. That's what we've needed to do for years, and we finally got there. And... But he's also he's also a calming effect too on yeah. the back line. Like he, oh yeah, like, look at him he, today coming down Larea. Larea again having to get calm down. Yeah, and then and then so uh, and Anthony K as well get, getting in their ears like saying like let's not you know let's play our game like I think you mentioned uh, they mentioned emissions or something on the broadcast like everybody's got a mission or something like that so it's it's you know that's what they have to stay intact for like again you could talk about the Honduras game they had their chances and it didn't while Borgen made the saves it didn't seem like they were in danger that much no I I, I genuinely even though. Honduras had a bit of the ball, and it's the same with the US. The US today had so much possession, but at no stage did I really feel that concerned about it. Yeah, and and the, and the, and the thing is, they had to do this in this three game window too because they 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 didn't have as much depth because they were missing a few quite a few players. Yeah, so they had to they have to play like this even against Honduras on the road. I think against even El Salvador, you'll probably see a very similar um, um, setup, uh, like an idea. They might attack once in a while, but they're really going to go for the counter. They're going to give up possession even against El Salvador, I think, on Wednesday. Yeah, because any team that leaves gaps, it's like we've got so much pace there that can exploit and so much talent there that can exploit yeah. it. Herdman described the Honduras performance and display as disciplined, and it, yeah. it definitely was. And it was another disciplined one today uh, against the, the US out there in Hamilton. Chile, Chile, Hamilton. The... We'll, we'll hear from Zach in the next part, but he texted me during the game saying, it's actually quite warm because you're surrounded by, by tons of people. But that that was the weird thing. They cut the capacity from 26 to 12, but yet they had them all crammed together. I know, that made no sense whatsoever. I, I don't get it at just all. Just let the 26 in. Yeah, that, did me, that, that absolutely made no sense. If you're going to if you're gonna like limit the people, you have to spread them out. Yeah. It's good that they did it because whatever, they, they got people together and everything like that. I think you probably have a better environment, but it, it doesn't make sense. No. Why would you cut capacity if you're just going to cram everybody together? The, the only thing I can think of is, and this is the case in Scotland when they, they lowered some of the attendances for, for a while at the football there, was it wasn't so much at the game they were worried, it was more transport, because yeah. the more folk that's there, the more folks trying to cram into public transport, and then, and then it's leaving, more risk. leaving the facility. Leaving the facility too when you get yeah. people like all jammed up together. Going so maybe there. it was that. Let's yeah. just hope it was because otherwise it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. But 
I mean, the Honduras game. I didn't expect to see Lauren and David start together. I thought they would go for one, bring the other one on. But we, we got a pairing. We got a taste of what they yeah. can do together. And they do need a bit of time together to get that chemistry fully going. Saw them start this one today. And this time it was Kyle Lauren that, that did the yeah. business. Seven minutes in. And again, another fantastic goal that showed skill and composure. And I mean... It was just the dream start. Yeah, I can't. I think it was Osorio that intercepted it, or he was the one that made the pass to Dave, uh, Laren, and then there was a quick one-two combination. Laren um, um, got the shot in. Obviously, Matt Turner probably should have done better. Obviously, the his goal kick wasn't very good either to get it not get it out that far. But oh, of it was course, odd. yes, yeah, yeah it all then, started from that. And then Matt Turner, like people were commenting about he lettuce hands or whatever because it just <laughs> flopped right through. Um, the thing is about him, like I I, I do because I watched the MLS uh, po- uh, post game thing and they're they're okay because they're they're fans of Canada apparently now. One guy especially, um, and he's been fans of Canada from from the beginning. Um, uh, but the, uh, I think Matt Doyle mentioned that, or was somebody else? One of the one of them mentioned that Laird's got a quick wind up. Where like when he's shoot, when he's ready to shoot, he lets it go fast, and because of that, um, you don't the keepers don't have time to react to it. When and you do see in the in the shot that Matt Turner did not like really get off or or go for the shot because it was so quick coming in. Yeah. So it makes a very good point about Laren's uh, release on his shot. I mean Laren's game and it, as a whole from his time in MLS has just come on so strongly. And yeah. again, the best thing for him was getting over to Europe and just learning. He's surrounded well, by way better players than he was at Orlando. I, I think it's the I think the first bit in Turkey. He I don't think I remember he didn't do that well. I think it was his time in Belgium. Yeah, when he when he came out and then he went back to Turkey. That's when he started doing well in Turkey as well. So that's a it's a good that he didn't like that first part. He didn't discourage him because it could have been easy very easily that he came back to Canada or MLS and played for somebody here. Well, which who knows about how that would have developed him. But I, it's good that he got that time in Belgium and then got back to Turkey and now he's thriving. As we've talked about before, the Whitecaps were interested in signing him. I don't think we would be seeing the Kyle Lahren that we're seeing today if he'd come at the Whitecaps, the place that strikers yeah. seem to go to die. A lot of the time, Brian White maybe being, being the exception. See, yeah. America should have called up Brian White. Well, the, I don't know if that would have made a difference because it's been two months. It's been two months since he scored a goal, so I don't know. He also is getting over a, a bit of a knee injury that he's got as oh, well just now, so I don't know. But yes, yeah, seven minutes in, it's one nil. It's Dreamland, and you're like, oh, this this could go the same way as the last time these two teams met. A, a nice cheeky little two nil victory. But after that, we we seemed very content to just give the US the ball. The the midfield was kind of posted missing they just couldn't well, get into the game or they weren't allowed to get into the game well when i saw the lineup that was their weakest part like yeah. you got mark anthony k and jonathan osorio um and it's it's not like they're a solid center mid but they didn't have the if one of the guys was like Estacchio or hutchinson that's a different story but because it was the two of them together i thought that was their weakest part they didn't i i felt like they didn't uh uh, collapse on the midfield enough. The the team, they, the, the the wide players stay out wide, and I think that hurt them. I think Mark Anthony Cape, it's been two two months and everything, but you got Alistair Johnson who's been two months and he's played well. But that I think that suffered a little bit. Th- those guys, the midfield definitely was their weakest part of the team. Yeah, it was a surprise 
in one sense that Atiba didn't play because he he's such an influence there, but he went the whole 90 down in, in Honduras. Yeah. He's on a yellow card. So I, I, I get it in that way, but in this game, I mean, he he could have been a, such a, a good presence. And Estacchio, oh, I'd have loved to have seen how he would have been able to, to play in this one as well. But for all their possession, and like the, the half-time and the full-time possession stats was is the same. 64% possession to the US. They did so little with it. Yeah, there was a well, couple of huffs and puffs and maybe a couple of scrambles in the box, but there was it was good defending, it was good clearances, and you didn't really feel too much danger. Well, if you look at the stats, you look you can look at possession, but you look at the stat above shots on target, 64% possession, only three shots on target for the US. Canada, 36%, they got four shots on target. Yeah. That is the difference right there. When you don't do enough with possession, like it should have been. If we got four on 36, they should have had eight at least on target. And they only got three. Like, you know, what if they did enough with the possession um, law of averages? But it, it's just not enough. And and they didn't, they probably, I think Honduras was more um, stronger in attack against the Canadian. Like, they were. Sit back, and then the U.S. was. And the U.S. has been known for this. Like, I've seen other like post game things and they're never happy with the way they attack they feel like it's too robotic and stunted and that's what you saw today there there was a few play- like i think uh um aurelia had that bicycle kick and i think uh, mm. mckinney had a chance if it was mckinney or Adam. yeah so that, that but- was just two minutes before half time the ball came in mckinney hit headed it and borian with another top-notch save and again yeah. what we're just talking about directing the ball away from goal so there was no chance of a rebound yep. either yep so i mean it, it's it's those moments that whenever they did manage to get something off they either went wide or, or or they were saved the only downside really in the first half is steven vittoria picked up another yellow card he's going to be missing down the el salvador at 35, having played back-to-back games, I don't know necessarily that he would even have started down in El Salvador. So it was unlikely. Yeah, not not the end of the world. Put Daniel Henry in. It, it's fine. There was a lot. I, I saw some US fans sniping or, on Twitter because Glass City's been doing really well at, at retweeting a lot a of troll. these idiots. Yeah, he, he trolls a lot. Yeah, but they were going, oh, old man Vittoria, 35 years old. Yeah. I don't care how old he is. It's like he's got the experience and he kind of strolled through that game today. I can't say enough stuff about the back line. Like we going into this thing, uh, World Cup qualifying, we all said, will the back line be able to hold up against, you know, the Mexico's, the Panama's, yep. the Costa Rica's, the U.S.'s. And they have. Like you got oh, two, totally. straight, clean, two straight clean sheets in this window. Um, and I guess on the road in Central America and at home against the US. And only five goals given up over 10 games. It's like, yeah. and it, it turns out it's the midfield that's kind of the the weak area. I thought there might have been a change at half time today. Yeah. I thought maybe Kay or Osorio would have gone off, but then it was kind of slim pickings as to who you would maybe bring in. Yeah, like Piet was injured, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you got Liam Fraser, and I think they, they probably wanted to, like wait as much as possible before they brought, they brought him on right if I'm not mistaken I thought he did I like the physicality generally of the team and I'll, I'll I'll read you some quotes after from from both the head coaches but Berhalter seemed to think that 
I heard that, yeah. Canada were physical because America was physical and that they handled Canada's physicality better. And it's like, what? Yeah. I mean, it, I was worried that at one point it might get into a little bit of a kick face, but I mean, it didn't. So, and you've got VAR now as well, so you kind of have to, to, to watch a little bit. But the, the second half, Canada had just done everything that it needed to do. They'd taken the US out of it. US didn't seem to have any answers at all. Matt Turner made a save at the 70th minute mark from David and then the rebound fell to Laren and it was saved again and then the danger was cleared. I mean, apart from that, in the last five minutes, which were a bit crazy, there wasn't very much to talk about in that second half. Canada were in complete control. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there was, like I said, there was the bicycle kick. I think that happened in the 80s. Yeah, 87th minute. Areola, it was a lovely attempt. I thought he'd possibly broken his neck the way that he landed as well. Exactly. But uh, it was uh, was definitely, uh, it's a good thing he did it in Canada. He would have got free healthcare. Um, But... uh, (laughs) But it, but that was basically their I think their strongest chance in the last few minutes. They just couldn't break through or anything like that. Um, but overall, I think it was yeah fantastic game, good result. The one thing that just like threw put me over was the Sam Adekubi goal um, in the ninety fifth minute. Like just like just to just the, all the recollections. And I th- I know we mentioned it so many times before at other shows. Watching these guys show up at fifteen years old. Um, showing up when uh, um, uh, Caleb Clark made his debut in the in the section, with, uh, cheering with him, um, uh, it, it, it's it's a weird thing when you've talked to somebody for so long, and then him ha- knowing that that guy, and you can say, "I know that guy. I've talked to that guy," <laughs> and he just scored a huge yep. goal against the U.S. It, it just put me in another. Yeah, you know, it was just I I couldn't even have words for what I experienced during that. And his first goal for Canada, and yeah, like one, what a moment to do it, two, what opposition to do it against. But even pushing all that aside, the skill that he showed in this, yeah. getting the ball. I mean, Kamal Miller just punted it up just to to clear it, clear it, yeah, from, to anywhere, and, and somehow it held up. And then Sam brings it down, takes a touch, cuts inside which a lot of folk wouldn't have done. They would have tried to turn and go to the corner flag. But he cuts inside, loses the defender. He's running in on goal, and I'm like, oh, because you're not used to seeing Sam in the middle of a pitch. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Well, but the finish, yeah. what a cool, collected finish. And, and no it's like, for him. like what, what is left back doing up that far up to pitch <laughs> like in the, in the late stages yeah. of a game when you're up one nothing? Uh, but like that's, like honestly, sometimes I think we need to um, let these players play. Sometimes I feel like Sam has definitely showed those skills when in his early years. It's like, but they they kind of because you're left back, they want you to concentrate on the defense, and they don't let you be free going forward. And I think maybe he's got that now in the in the late like I think he like in the obviously in Scandinavia the years he's played there, and then obviously this year in Turkey. Maybe he's found his attacking play. And if he can be that left back and you don't have to rely on Alfonso Davies to play left back and you can play him up far harder, that's so valuable. Right oh, now, for me, I want to see Sam Akubi at every like left back position like so we don't have to do that or left wing back or whatever. Well, he, he's totally it. earned it. And it does yeah. it does take the pressure of Fonzie a bit then to be a, a, a forward and to, to, to see him. I mean, it's 
mouth-watering that attack you've got if you're talking about Fonzie and Lara and and David. But Sam's Sam's earned it. Sam has done so well. And he's had a tough journey. He's had a lot of injuries. As you know, I had his career over. (laughs) One of our running tropes, sadly, on the show. But, I mean, he... He's been fantastic, and like he was my man of the match today. In those closing minutes, I wrote down, 86th minute, he had a huge block in the box, and that that was tremendous. He had a shot in the 89th minute um, after some great work from Junior Hoylet that Gareth Wheeler said was like messy, which was uh, stretching it a little bit. It, it was really nice by Junior Hoylet. I don't yeah. quite think he's a Canadian Messi. But then Sam had a, a shot that just flew over as well. And then that goal, it was just tremendous to see. And just, it was a well-deserved three points. And the celebrations afterwards, it was it was fantastic to see what it meant to the the team. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the post-game reaction from the head coaches in the next part. And we're also going to hear from our other usual regular co-host. Yep, Zach was in Hamilton this afternoon for that game, and we'll be back chatting to him after this. Hi, I'm Afonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. I want to go to Uddersfeld! <laughs> Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of January from Edinburgh, Scotland. That was the Exploited there with a song taken from their 1981 debut album Punk's Not Dead and that was Sex and Violence. I don't think the... The next man that we're going to speak to is going to be partaking in either of those after Canada's win, but he's going to be in a very happy mood, delighted now to be joined by our usual co-host, our man in the ground in Hamilton, Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And you're heading back from the game just now, Zach. So tell us how cock-a-hoop you are, Zach. Oh, Michael, uh, it is... Uh... Always a great day when uh, Canada defeats the United States and almost anything. And now in the space of what, like five months, we've done it twice. The women's team did it and now the men's team has done it in massive uh, competitive matches. 
yeah, so much joy. Uh, yeah, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. We, we've gone over, we've broken down the game in, in the first part of the show, but just to get your, your takes on it, I mean, watching at home, I wasn't overly concerned. Although the US had more shots and had more possession, it felt they weren't really doing very much with it. And it was a, a very controlled and a very assured performance, I felt, by Canada. Is that, is that how it felt in the stadium or, or was it nervous? Uh, well, I think in the the first, whatever, three quarters of the game or so, it felt like, yeah, the U.S. had probably more possession, which was at least in parts some score effect going on. But there wasn't a lot of concern probably to those last maybe 15, 10 minutes or so when the U.S. started to begin to create some half chances. And, of course, the miss by so quick kick right at near the end it was uh, kind of like, you know, reminiscent of that Borean uh, save in uh, Edmonton against Mexico. But, uh, no, th- I think there was a a lot of confidence and a lot of uh, a lot of excitement in the crowd in Hamilton. Yeah, it, it came across on the TV as a good crowd. Naturally, first time you've been at a men's national team game in Hamilton. How was the atmosphere? How was the, the stadium? For a stadium that had reduced capacity, kind of felt a little bit weird seeing everyone just all crammed together because it was like, what was the point then of having reduced capacity? But it, it seemed a great atmosphere there. Yeah, I thought the atmosphere was really, uh, really good. Uh, you had, of course, you know, uh, uh, Toronto supporters uh, leading things. You had some of the Forge people were there. Uh, and then you had uh, this, you know, uh, once again, an awesome reunification of supporters from around the country. I don't know what it looked like on TV, Michael, but uh, I didn't spend my time counting everyone in the stadium. But it felt like it was a lot more full than 12 out of 26,000. Yes, it did. And the the commentators made a comment of, only 12,000 here, it certainly sounds a lot more than that. It certainly looked a lot more than that. But yeah, it, it looked very, very packed. I can't imagine how you cram another 14,000 people into there, I've got to say. Yes, I would. I concur. I concur. It looked, at one point... Uh, we turned to each other. I, I was with my, my sister, her partner, and Naz, and a bunch of other people. But uh, one of us, we kind of turned to each other. It was like, this feels like more than 12,000 people when you look around the stadium and you don't see that many gaps. Yeah. Uh, you know, and but obviously we didn't have a fuller, you know, a great view of the whole stadium. But yeah, it felt more than 12,000. And temperature wise, you we were texting during the game. You said you were nice and warm. I'm sure that oh. goal, that early goal, helped with that. No, well, I mean, yeah, it was. It was, uh, I think it was only four or maybe max four or six degrees below. Yeah. But the one thing which I didn't, you know, I, I tweeted about how, you know, it's, it's much, much warmer in Hamilton and in, in Edmonton uh, between November and January. But the, one of the massive differences, of course, both those games in Edmonton were evening kickoffs. And this was a mid-afternoon kickoff, which really, really uh, helped with temperature-wise. So it was cold, but it wasn't, I was not cold. Like there was no time where I was like, "Oh, I can't feel my feet, or my fingers are freezing," and I had gloves off and on. And yeah, no, it was really good. And just to get your thoughts on the on the two goals quickly, Kyle Laren, lovely goal from him to to open the scoring. But once that one went in, it just seemed to ease the pressure off the team so much. But it, it was just a great finish. It's taken him to the all time leading Canadian national team scorer. Very well deserved and very well taken. Yes, yeah, good, some good interplay and some good, good movement um, in, the, in the the lead up to the goal and just uh, good pace and, and clinical finish, finish from Laren. 
And you're right, it did, it really helped set the stage for the victory. Like it really, I mean, it's obvious you score, you, know, you want to score more goals than your opponent, but it, it just, the fact that it came so early and, it, and the, the, the goal was, it was like, it was like, uh, it was like marinated in confidence, you know, like it was just like filled with confidence that the way that they just, um, you know, played him in and the way he just went in and scored. Uh, he, so he's the leading goal scorer in competitive matches right now. He's got to break the record for uh, all matches, right? I thought that took him to all matches. I thought that took him to 23. Well, there's a second list where I think 26 is the, I think Dale, not Dale Mitchell. Um, uh, oh, I can see his face. Uh, the big man, John Catliff, I think has 26. Okay, so oh, there's two lists going then. Yeah, because yeah, some of them were quote-unquote A internationals, as you can imagine in Canada's history of <laughs> the national team matches. So, yeah, he's top of the competitive list now, I think, but he's uh, probably going to be climbing up uh, to sur- surpass Catliff at the top of the uh, the, the all all time score list. But yeah, it was it was it was great. Um, it felt a little bit like it's weird. We've talked about this before, I think, on the show. It's weird when you're watching Canada and they create some great chances and they don't score them, and it's like it doesn't ruin the game, mm. you know? Because Laren Laren should have scored again on the rebound from that the David that yeah. uh, David got. And there was other chances we we created that we probably should have gotten more from. And just, again, a weird feeling to be like, oh, that didn't cost us, you know, two points or three points or qualification or, you know, whatever. Um, It's just, it's nice that to be in the stadium, you know, just have that feeling of, okay, we missed that, but I know we're, I know we're on the the right path and, and, and we can make up for it. Well, from the, the man that broke the, the records tonight to the other end of the spectrum, the man that got his first Canadian national team goal, Sam Adekukbe, guy that we've known for so many years. I mean, aside from being delighted for, for Sam and everything like that, he, I thought he was outstanding tonight. He was my man of the match. But again, the composure, the touches that, that he showed on that goal and the coolness to just go in and finish. Wow. Yeah, it was, I mean, he had a chance earlier where I thought, I thought he was going to score and he didn't. And uh, yeah, when he got that ball and he put it past the, the, the defender and cut into the middle, I was like, he, he, he can do this. And you're right. I mean, we've known him since whatever, he was 14 or 15 years old and watching him play and develop and grow, uh, have setbacks and overcome them. And it's, it, was, uh, it, was, it was awesome. It was, it was so awesome. I mean, I think, I guess the low point is that there wasn't enough snow for him to jump into the stadium. <laughs> Yeah, we had a nice celebration anyway. Last thing, and then I'll, I'll let you go and enjoy your night. That's us at the World Cup now, Zach, isn't it? We're, we're in? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've had that feeling for a while now. Yeah. Uh, obviously, math, the mathematics still need to play out. Um, but, yeah, uh, you can't see Canada not being in the, the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. And uh, it's an extremely special thing and exciting thing. And... You have, a, you have this excitement that not only we're going to the World Cup, but we are going to obviously surpass our efforts in 86 and also maybe uh, shake things up and, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, do some damage. Well, for a, a team to do well, you've got to keep the ball out the back of the net. That's what this Canadian team's doing. You've got to score. We've got goal scorers aplenty. It's exciting times. I'm glad you got out there for this one. 
Any word on the ground as to where this Jamaica game might be? Are we getting it in Vancouver or is uh, everyone tight-lipped? No, no one I talked to, no. I asked a, a number of people, as you can imagine, and uh, there is no, uh, there's no uh, you know, confirmed word in any way, shape or form. However, most people do see it being at, at BMO in Toronto. Hmm. But having said that, <laughs> I think most of us thought that today's game would have been at BC Place in Vancouver. So, uh, you know, uh, I'll wait till it's officially announced before I try and make travel plans for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and hopefully easier to get tickets this time around, although possibly not because it's going to be a celebration party well, night. It's going to be crazy to get tickets for it. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy your night. Safe travels home, and we'll talk to you when you get back. Thank you, Michael. So Zach there, travelling back from Tim Hortons Field. Excited? I thought he might be even more excited and yelling down the, the, the phone line. Thankfully, it wasn't because it wasn't the best connection, but it was the best we could get yeah. on the way. But yeah, great, great to have been there anyway. Yeah, it's probably the, you know, being stuck in the back of his sister's minivan or something like that probably had to do a lot with that. Yeah, I, I don't think you can be yelling and, and putting your sister off at, while she's yeah. driving in those windy exactly. conditions. Yeah. But I mean, it would have been great to, to be there. And I mean, he, he's mentioned, Steve, that there's no word yet as to where the Jamaica game might be played. I was hoping for Vancouver. I have had folks saying it is more likely to be Toronto, so we won't get yeah. any games. But that's fine, whatever. It's going to be a party, it's going to be a celebration wherever they have it. And yeah. maybe, maybe I'll fly out for it. Although I am toying with going back to the UK in March, finally, if things have calmed down a little bit. But well, we'll maybe you can do a stopover. You can schedule it where you stop over in Toronto and then go from there. Ooh, now that is a very good idea that I hadn't even thought of because there are flights from there. I was going to go yeah. via Calgary, but ooh. Yeah, I would I would do that if you're going to plan on that and then you have a chance to go to the game. I would definitely do that way. Actually, that's wait a great till- idea. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait until it get, gets announced. Last thing you want to do is be in Toronto when the game's in Vancouver. <laughs> oh, I'd be heartbreaking, man. <laughs> um, a couple of quotes I'll, I'll just read you from after the game. First of all, from John Herdman, who does a great job at managing to get everyone fired up whilst taking kind of passive-aggressive shots at the US at the same time. He said, in a game like this, there's going to be two elements. It's going to be tactical and it's going to be about the team spirit. He felt the first goal was the key. And he said, that US squad was a European team in full season. That's the reality. Canada knew they had to dig in and fight for each other. And they did. And it's it's a tough time of year. And the guys that we've had that are playing over in Europe, a couple of them were coming off COVID as well. So they haven't been training and stuff as well. But I, I liked this from Herdman. And Charles Bohm tweeted this out and said, goodness, Herdman can thump a tub. People have always had to wear an Italian shirt or a Serbian shirt, a Greek shirt. They can put them down and that's what we want them to do. Pull on the Canadian jersey now. Be proud of us as a country feeling that. Be proud. Just be proud that we're talking about football in this country. Aware that we've got stars now. We've got young star players around for a long generation. You've got Marcello Flores watching this game, wondering whether he wants to play for Mexico or Canada. And that's that's the reality. Yeah. This is a star-studded team. We, we've spoken about this as a golden generation, but you can only truly be called that if you achieve something. Well, they're on the verge of achieving that. And yeah, I it will, is exciting. The if, whole country needs to get behind them. 
if they make it into um if they make it into the world cup i will finally like qualify it as a golden generation then at that point uh and once they officially qualify as zach said as well steve it, it feels with this group and i know we're getting ahead of ourselves quite a bit but it does feel that we're not only going to just go to the world cup to make up numbers a la say honduras or panama in previous world cups we've got a shot there because of the yeah. talent that we've got especially offensively yeah I, I think anything is possible at this point so that's why it's exciting not just to make the world cup but let's see what we do there i mean you look at the attack and i mentioned last part it's mouth-watering davies david laren there's not too many countries out there that have a front three that is as exciting and dangerous as that they just need a bit to, of time together to get full chemistry going. And then to bring a guy like uh, Tejon Buchanan, who could be that fourth guy, uh, maybe off the bench if they, you know, only yep. play three up front. Jun- it's, Junior Hoylet. Junior Hoylet is a fantastic player off the bench and starting whenever he needs to start. So there's a lot of talent there. The, the, you know, the one thing you would wish he had somebody in the midfield at this point, like a number 10. Like I like, I don't want to bring Estakio up the pitch because I liked where he plays. I, so it's just that that one spot that can make that connection between Istakio and the attackers. That is all that's missing. And obviously, who knows if we ever get that. It probably won't be in time for this World Cup. But if we could develop somebody in that position, then, you know, we're, a, I think, a very dangerous team in 2026 for sure. Oh, definitely. The, the midfield does feel like a weak area just now. And as you said last part, crazily, going into these, we're worried about the defence. But then all of a sudden... We've got a, an exciting defence there. We've got full backs. We've got a central defending partnership that, that, that that's looking strong. We've got a little bit of depth there as well. We've got two world-class keepers in Borian and Max Cripot. Just get a little bit more midfield depth. And who knows who might get developed in the, in the next 10 months that we don't know about or somebody that commits that we maybe don't know yeah. about or... They they find the thing, some long lost Canadian granny somewhere. Yeah, the thing is the thing is about the 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 like the Canadian you know midfield or whatever. I feel like they have good depth. They just don't have that one star player. In and and who look at us complaining about having not having a star player like when we have so many other ones like in that one position. That's a, that's the where's Candace come to now where we can complain about not having like a number ten. Um, of course, if it was the Whitecaps, we probably wouldn't see that number 10 for a long time. But of course, it's Canada. You have to be born here to do that. But uh, um, I, I, it's just like the lineup itself, is, there's depth everywhere right now at this point. Like like we talked about, there's no Davies in Estakio and they still pulled off two wins at this point. And so it's, there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, it, I think it's the depth that that is particularly exciting. A couple of final things just from these. One, Lucas Cavallini, when he came on in the 81st minute against Honduras, I jokingly tweeted out, oh, what what's, what minute do you have for him to get his booking? I'll go for 86. And I was being facetious. 84th, three minutes on the park, got a booking. It's in, it truly is incredible. <laughs> he's, he's consistent, if not anything else. <laughs> yeah. He must worry, though, because... He wants to be at this World Cup so much. And the striking depth, if he doesn't show it for the Whitecaps this year, he is in danger 
of maybe not making the World Cup squad. So yeah, it, it's, I think it's the, up to him to either show it here or go somewhere where he can show it. Because they, they brought in Ike Ugbo. He's playing in the Belgian first division as well. So like there there could be other... And who knows who's going to come now that they've qualified. That if, they, if they're pretty much clear to qualify in this window, uh, there might be a lot of experimentation done in that last window um, where they might not bring that many top players. And that's where obviously we might suffer the first loss. That's why... This win, if they can beat El Salvador at this point, it'd be huge for them because they can experiment possibly, like you said, a Marcelo Flores, even though I doubt he comes to Canada. Um, I think his dad's a former Mexican national team player. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen, but it'd be exciting to see if we could bring somebody in like and, and, and commit them. And it's tough on the players that have been there this whole time, but it's you know you got to do what's right for the team. The thing now is there's going to be players that commit. To, to Canada that were maybe on the fence and part of me we, we, we talked about this in our extra podcast that we brought out midweek which if you're not a subscriber get on that $30 a year $3 a month you, you get these things Zach and me recorded that an hour's extra podcast and we, we talked about this I'll just get get your thoughts on this Steve there's going to be players that commit now because oh Canada's going to two world cups in a row it feels tough then on the guys that's got us there, but then if these are better players, you want them to be at the finals. It's a tough balancing act. Yeah, but I think if they commit younger players who are not ready to go to this World Cup, I don't think there's any harm in that. Like if you commit a, like a 19-year-old striker or 18-year-old central midfielder, I think that's fine because I don't think they're going to be good enough to be selected. And once you, you've seen it with other teams, once you get like committed to the team or capped by the team, you're basically, even if you don't select in this World Cup window, it's not like a, there's a promissory note that, you know, if you play in this window, you're going to you're gonna be selected for the World Cup of 2022. Yeah. So, so I, I it's going it to, and who knows how many players they're allowed to bring in the next World Cup. Well, there's that as well. I mean, it could be extended rosters, partly because I call yeah. it, partly maybe because of the heat as well. They might decide yeah. that they go for bigger squads. The, the other thing which we talked about, just to get your thought on this, Scott Arfield, Retiring from international football in a World Cup year when the country's on the verge to making a World Cup finals where he'd never played and his only chance to play there. I just find that truly baffling and yeah, there has to be a lot more to it. There, That's definitely something that this, I don't know if the story will ever come out, but it definitely is like there's a lot beneath that headline that yeah. he's retiring at this point. Like, you don't walk away from a World Cup finals. I don't know if he was pushed to it. Like it could be that they don't want him anymore. Maybe there was some kind of conflict there, and yep. they, they the kind of said, face. "Why don't yeah, save face or something like that?" But even then, it just doesn't. And, or and if he just decided to retire, that's even doesn't look good on him either. So either way, it's him that doesn't look good in, in any scenario yeah. at this point. And yeah, it, it's just baffling. And the last bit on the U.S. game, I want to read three quotes post game from Greg Berhalter. These are good. This is how he opened his press conference. It's hard for me to remember a more dominant performance away from home that didn't produce a result. Yeah, I uh, I told you I, I watched a lot of the US post game and everybody was baffled by that comment. Yeah. Like, there wasn't one person that said, oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, then he follows up by saying, I don't think they, as in Canada, dominated much of anything. But one thing that separates Canada from the rest of the group is the quality of their strikers to finish a small amount of chances. 
So a little dig, small amount of chances. We didn't dominate yeah. anything. It was 2 0. Yeah, dominate 2 0. And like I said before, it's four shots on target to three shots on target. And usually that's, there are chances, but if they, it doesn't even, if you don't get it on net, there's no, I, I don't consider a chance if you don't get it on net. You no. need to get it on net or very close to the post or something like that. If the shots are wide, even the Areola thing we talked about it, that was way wide. Like, I, I don't consider that to be a chance. So for me, uh, shots on target is the biggest thing. And the fact that Canada has four to three, I'm sorry, they did more with what they had. If you if you were dominated, you would have had more chances even on target. Oh, yeah. You should have scored more goals. I, the last one from Bearholter which we touched on in the last part, this was about the physicality. So the exact quote was, actually, they couldn't handle our physicality. We gave it to them up and down the pitch. I don't um... understand, like, the comments. No, the, the fact, say even if that was the case. But I don't remember any Canadian players, like, like kneeling over, tired, or, like, worn out. Even after the game was over, they were full of energy. Like, there was, if you're... Physically, like uh, you know, like physically overpowering them, you would see it in the game where you would have been able to like somebody would have fallen over or or somebody would have made a mistake. There were no mistakes by Canada, like very few that caused it, you know even very many chances. So for me, that doesn't make sense either. I mean, I will say the dominated possession. It's there's no getting away from that. They it was two to one possession. But possession doesn't win football matches. No. And like for all Carl Robinson's faults here in Vancouver, he did show that you could get results by having very little possession. Maybe yeah. not all the time. Maybe just the odd and, season that you're riding your luck a little bit. But it's like possession and, doesn't equate to to winning. On the on the post game shows on the American side, they were mentioning how they don't like uh, the fact that. Uh, uh, the the the, he, the fact that he like is so on the xg side of it, you know the stats thing, oh, like how yeah. expected goals. Apparently, he's like huge on that. But what the what's the point of expected goals when you don't get any goals? No, I'd rather have the ag the actual yeah. goals. The it's actual much, goals much more important. So let's have a look at the table now. We talked after the last games in November that basically it was a top four, bottom four split. And it was the these four teams at the top going for the, the three automatic places in the playoff. Then kind of from nowhere, Costa Rica's managed to get themselves back into it. They beat Honduras in the last game of their November window. And then they beat Panama this window. And then they just drew 0-0 with Mexico today in Mexico. So they're still on the outside looking in, but it could make it interesting. The table is very interesting. El Salvador, Jamaica, Honduras, bye-bye, you, you've gone. Canada first, 22 points. US second, 18. Mexico third, 18. Panama fourth, 17. Costa Rica fifth, 13. Now, Panama were ravaged by covid in this window. They got a, a very impressive 3-2 win today over Jamaica. Javain Brown backwards. got a, 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 an own goal, sadly. But I, I know it's like, oh, if the Queen had balls, etc., etc. But if Panama had not I'm lost not. that game last week, they would be sitting second with the US and Mexico battling possibly for the third spot, which would have been incredible. Still, Panama's not out of it. And the US have a couple of tough games coming up, but Panama do have some some tough games well, as well. 
if if we look at Panama, their next four games, two of them are against Canada. No, two sorry, two of them are away at Mexico and at um, uh, at the U.S. Now, obviously, you don't expect them to win those games. They might have a draw in one of those two games, but they, you don't expect them to win all those games. Of course, you don't you didn't expect Costa Rica to draw in Mexico today either, and that happened. So, oh yeah, um, I mean, if, if Panama can get something from that game in the US, US are away to Mexico and away to Costa Rica. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't look good either. There, so there, the, the, those kind of results, like if one of these, like either the US or Panama falters in their next games, that's what I'm saying. Even though it's not mathematically, and it might not even be mathematically after this game against El Salvador that they've qualified, but they're basically qualified because the other teams are playing each other. Yeah. And I just don't want to, I, I personally just don't want to get into the last game. I'm just hoping they, they finish it off before they get to that game away oh, yeah. at Panama, because that's the, that would be the worst case scenario for me, but I don't think it's even going to get to that point. It might, they might not have everything cinched up before the next window, but they're going to be very close. Here, here's my dream. It goes to the last game. Canada's, but we, we've qualified. It's the last game. Yeah. We're going down to make Panama. That. Panama have to win, and if they win, the US don't make the top oh. three, and then we just put out a bunch of scrubs. Well, it'd yeah. still be that pretty would... good, but yeah, <laughs> that that would be hilarious. I'd love that because Canada's last four games: it's El Salvador on Wednesday, March twenty fourth, away to Costa Rica, March twenty seventh, home to Jamaica, March thirtieth, away to Panama, and then it's a long wait. Until November, when the World Cup gets underway. I can't wait. I'm excited. It's made me forget all about my back pain, which amazingly it has. I'm doing this and I haven't felt one twinge yet. So I just need to get excited by Canada and hopefully Scotland coming up as well. Last thing we'll say about this. I'm sure everyone listening to this will have seen it. But if you haven't, you have to see Alfonso Davies' Twitch streams yeah. with his dad doing the Canada games and the goals and the excitement. I was worried about his heart. He was getting a little bit too excited there. It's like, calm, calm down, Fonzie, till we know that you're okay. But, oh, that that just filled you with joy. There's no way you can watch that without having a massive grin on your face. Yeah, that's, the, like, he probably, I don't know how many people are watching with him. I didn't see the, like, the, the but it, it's it's an enjoyable watch-along compared yeah. to the other ones. But, yeah, uh, and the, the uh, modest, I don't know if the excitement he got from, Samu Rukubi's goal was, you know, that they won the game or the fact that he might not have to play left back and he could play more up top. <laughs> so it was either one of those two, but I'm sure he was just like, like, so excited because it's just one more step that he, you know, he, they're closer to the World Cup at this point. Oh, it is. But that is it for our national team chat. It's not it for the show, though. We've got another two parts to come. They're going to be white caps focused, but they're going to have a Canadian national team bent. And we'll be back talking to one of Canada's top scorers of all time. To St. Ricketts, we'll be back chatting to him after this. This is Atiba Hutchinson, and you're listening to the AFTN Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And I kicked off this part with our old favourite on the show. I usually play as the intro and outro when we do our Canadian national team interviews. I thought I'd kick a whole part off with the extended version of it. From Glasgow, Scotland, The Yummy Fur, taken from their 1998 album, Male Shadow at 5 o'clock which has a Canadian flag on it, and that was, of course, the Canadian flag, wearing it for our baby. If I didn't have a bad back, I'd be wrapped in the Canadian flag to entertain my Canadian wife tonight, but sadly, she, she's gutted, obviously, at having to miss out on, on that, but yeah, the, the yummy fur there. So we're going to turn our attentions to the Whitecaps in the final two parts, but we're, we're keeping the Canadian theme going. And before we get into our feature interview for this episode, it is with a man who ranks very highly in the all-time scorers for Canada, Steve. Now, if I was to say to you, who are the all-time scorers for for Canada? What names would you throw at me? Um, Obviously, uh, Kyle Lahren, um, Dwayne DeRosario, Dale Mitchell... Um, those are the three that really pop up uh, after that. Um, Jeff Catliff. Yeah, that's right. Catliff, Jonathan right David. And then to St. Ricketts, the man we are going to, to speak to in a few minutes. And he's the sixth all-time leading scorer for Canada on 17 competitive goals. And as Zach pointed out, there's two uh, actual all-time list competitive goals and overall because of all the friendlies and stuff. But we're just looking at the competitive thing here. So Toss is the, the sixth all-time leading scorer for Canada. And he's been a great servant to the country. Probably won't be pulling on a, a Canadian shirt again, sadly. But he does still hope to, to pull on a Vancouver Whitecaps shirt for the season to come. He's in Whitecaps pre-season camp just now as a, a trialist, trying to earn that MLS contract. He has also just received his Bachelor of Science degree as well from Southern New Hampshire University in Sports Management. So I got a chance to sit down with Tassaint this week just to chat about that degree, his role in the front office, just wanting to, to break boundaries as a, a black executive in football circles in Canada and in North America, and his hopes for a future still playing in MLS as well. So go stick the kettle on, make your favourite hot beverage, grab a chocolate digestive, of which I am sadly out if you saw my tweet this week, and enjoy our chat with Vancouver Whitecaps to St Ricketts. So delighted now to be joined on the show by to St Ricketts, we spoke to you a, a, a year ago, Toss, and you were just finishing off your degree. You were interning at the club. You've now got your degree, Bachelor of Science in Sports Management. You're looking to to go in the next chapter of, of your life, but also still involved in the playing side. How has how has this last year been from a getting this degree point of view? How hard was it balancing being at the club, interning at the club, and studying for this degree at the same time? Well, to be completely honest, the balance was, uh, wasn't was too difficult for me. I'm very um, motivated, you know, I'm very disciplined, 
you know, and once I created a system that was comfortable with my lifestyle, I, I, I breezed through it. Um, the school aspect of it, um, basically the whole bachelor's of science and sports management came fairly natural to me. You know, the business concepts were, I could easily grasp them. Writing the papers came easy and, and uh, the schoolwork was a breeze. Um, I graduated uh, with a, a 3.95, so probably one very high GPA. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I um, pretty much walked into the MBA program, which will be starting in a few weeks, March, March 19th. So um, got all approved and, uh, and, and ready to go for that program. But the balance was, was, was pretty easy. But um, the personal life was the, was the difficult part for me last year. Probably one of the, no, it was the hardest year of my entire life lost my father um, in an unfortunate way, in a way that probably could have been prevented, which which hurts, which hurts a lot. Um, And had a lot of injuries on the plane side, which, you know, kept me detached from the group on on the playing field, not being able to travel, not being able to be myself on the field and really be that player I know I could be for this organization. So that was difficult. That was difficult for me, but all that being said, I was still able to motivate my teammates. I was still able to ignite a fan base um, with the stand by me and, and really get them aligned and, and attached to this group of players in this, in, this, um, in this organization. And I was still able to be the bright spot for, for these guys. So, you know, at the end of the day, I look back at it and, you know, I have to be proud of myself because even in the, my darkest and, and lowest I've been in probably my life, I was still able to, you know, make the people around me happy and, and, and give and give back to the community in a big way. Yeah, this is the first time I think we, we've chatted since you, you did lose your father. So just wanted to send my commiserations on that as well. I know that can't have been easy and to have all this going on at, at the same time. The, the, the stand by me side of things, was that was inspired by by your dad. Is, is that right? That was one of his favorite songs is, or it was a special song um, for you? No, it, it, there is no connection to my dad, but you know, deep down when you're you're going through hard times like I was and like our team was being away from home living in Salt Lake, not at a good point in our season. The only way out of that is to stand by each other, you know, and that doesn't happen with just our group of players alone. It happens with the staff members standing by us, the front office employees standing by us, our whole supporter group, our fans back home longing to be with us, to watch us play in BC Place, standing by us. And that was the overall goal of creating the song, asking the fans about the song, getting their approval, asking the front office, getting their approval, asking every player. And the whole process was just to bring everyone closer together. And especially during a time when everyone's so detached with quarantine and COVID and and all that, it just, it just felt genuine and it was organic. And, you know, those are the type of things that stick. And those are the type of things that create traditions. And, you know, it was, um, that final game at home when we clinched the playoff, you know, that's that's what it meant. It's been a fantastic addition 
And it's like so many clubs throughout the world, they've got songs that's associated with them and you think about stuff and uh, you all have been at clubs that that's been the same. My club in Scotland's got a song that we've run out to from the, the 60s. But this just, there was something about this. And I think two moments in particular, the, the first game back at BC Place, seeing it sung there and what it meant to everyone that, that had been there and that last home game as well. It, it was just such a, a, a moving thing. I mean, hopefully this is something then that will now be a tradition at the club for a, a long, long time to come. And I mean, I think it must have felt so good to have everyone embrace it the way that they did. Yeah, I mean, you know, when things are genuine, when things aren't forced, when things are are organic, you know, it's it's obvious. You know, nothing was forced with the Stand By Me. We we went to Austin, you know, the last away game before we're going home, and we get a great result in in a an amazing environment. You know, like everything was stacked up against us that day. Like their crowd was amazing. You know to win that game. And then we go into the dressing room and it's like, we've been talking about it. You know, the song was decided, but it wasn't set in stone. It's like, is this the time? And it's like, yeah, this is the time. Rusty looks at me. He's like, I think this is the time. I'm like, I think it's the time too. Let's, let's just sing it. Let's just sing it together. We're going home. The moment's right. We just won three points. Like we've been grinding for four months away, you know, like, when things are organic, they stick, and and that's this was one hundred percent organic. It's, it has been fantastic, and I look forward to hearing it many, many more times in the years to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, from from your internship that you were doing on the business side in the front office, we we spoke last year about that. This, this is obviously the career that that you want in the game going forward. I know we'll touch a little bit on your playing side as well, still, but. Th- what, what did you learn in this last year from a business side of things? Because obviously it's not a normal year because the whole front office was rerouted. Well, not even the whole front office, I guess. But most of the front office was rerouted to Utah, but you've still got a lot of the front office still up here working away in Vancouver. What did you learn about the business side of the game in this last year? I learned a lot. And honestly, I think us being away and just COVID and the remote working from home, you know, I think it was an advantage for me because I was able to sit in Zoom calls, which would normally be meetings that I couldn't attend. I was able to take part in conversations that I probably wouldn't be att- able to attend because they're at the boardroom and we're training. So it was it gave me an opportunity to see the whole club in a different lens. You know, I was able to sit in marketing meetings. I was able to sit in community meetings. I was able to sit in, you know, strategic planning meetings. I was able to gain a lot of experience over that year and over my internship. And I got to see how this organization is fully ran. I got to see how every department works and how they integrate and how they collaborate on projects and how they make things happen. And that experience for me is, is, is so valuable and um, it's, it's really priceless. That's why I was ready to do the internship for a whole entire year with nothing in return, you know, besides experience. And um, that being said, I, you know, I fell in love with the club even more because I seen how everyone was working hard, you know, even though our backs are against the wall, everyone was grinding to promote us players and, and put us in the best light and put us in the best situation to, you know, 
win and, and, and feel comfortable. Like you can't understand that side unless you're in it. And now that I'm in it, I knew, I know that I'm making the right decision, wanting to choose, wanting to like go this career path. Um, once I retire or even now while I'm playing. Yeah. And the thing is as well, and it's not just in football, it's throughout sport in North America, the number of black executives in front offices, it, it's so small for whatever reason. And I think we spoke about it before when I spoke to Ricardo Clark. You look at the UK and there's so many black players that have come through the game there, but they don't get into coaching or they don't get into management or they don't get into front office jobs for whatever reason. Your your role with Whitecaps is going to be about diversity and inclusion and, and everything like that. But have you had many kind of people in the game, in front offices that you can speak to about this? Because it doesn't seem that there are a lot. It's a growing number, I I know. But I mean, I guess there's not many mentors out there for, for you at this time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, you you look across the board of executives and you don't see anyone that looks like you, you know, so immediately you 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 think to yourself you know what you what you heard growing up like my mom used to always tell me you got to work twice as hard if if everyone in your classes get in b's you have to get a's you know if if they're running this fast you have to run twice as fast and that's how i always live my life and that's integrated in me so regardless if i see people that look like me in the roles that i desire to be in it doesn't slow me down. It doesn't discourage me because I grew up with the mentality that I have to work twice as hard as everyone to get to achieve my dreams, you know? But that being said, I still have had some pe some people in great positions that I can look up to and uh, speak to, you know? Um, I have a lot of great friends and I have a lot of great friends in high places. I have a lot of successful friends as well. And those are the people I speak to. And people in MLS I can speak to is I've spoken to Tim Bezbachenko, who was the, you know, the GM of TFC while I was there and now the president of Columbus Crew. Oh, of course. Yeah. I yeah. forgot you'd have worked with him at TFC. Yeah. Yeah. And I've spoken to John Thornton, who we've exchanged a few emails, who is, you know, he's young. He, he went through the PA. I've spoken to Ali Curtis, who obviously was his time at TFC and, and he spent a lot of time in the MLS office and now is back in the MLS office. And, you know, then I have my, um, you know, my guys that are away from the game who who mentor me as well. So, um, you know, I have no shortage of of mentors, you know, even Masai Ujiri. You know, I look up to him big time. You know what he's done with Raptors over the years. Um, I've met him. He's a he's a great guy. You know, I've, I've spoken to him. These are people I look up to. You know, um, there's no shortage of mentors out there, but it's, um, you know, it's just it's tough to not see more people like me in executive positions across this league. Yeah, and I think it is changing. It's just it's a very, very slow process. It, it does feel at times. So, I mean, you're doing your MBA now. What, what does the next year then look like for you? And you've got the new role at the club, Axel mentioned. You'd signed a contract from the front office point of view and it's going to be working with diversity and inclusion. So what does the next year look like for you? Yeah, I mean, that that role is not specifically only diversity, inclusion, and community. Oh, um, okay. 
we're still building it out. Um, we're still working on a title. We're still working on what my role exactly will be. So I'm, I'm certain it's going to be more than just that. But don't get me wrong. My passion is still in community. I love it. I will give everything to it, no matter if I'm a player, if no matter if I'm an intern or if I'm a GM or president in the future, I will still give 100% to the community because without the community, there is no me. You know, yeah. I relied on my community to get to where I am now. I relied on parents that were sacrificing their spare time to pick me up and drive me to games and training, you know, so community is a big part of my, my, um, my passion, but um, yeah, you know, that that's, I'm hoping the role is, has a lot of flexibility. I want to learn about the entire club. I want to know how the budget works. I want to know the process of bringing players in. I want to know, um, the requests from the league and how to work through that. I want to know how partnerships works, how marketing works, how events works. I want to know, create a closer bond with the fans. I want to know the club through and through, you know, because that's the only way where I can really impose my experiences that I've gained from playing this game for the last 13 years across eight countries, four continents. You know, it's, um, it's truly experiences that are priceless. You've got this going on, which is a lot, but you're still wanting to play. And yeah. you, you're in camp as a trialist, which I, I guess must feel a little weird after the, the career had been a trialist again. But as you said, last season was derailed a, a lot through injury. You, you still want to play. That's very, very clear. And there, I think there's a, a need for you at the club as well. Would you be interested in a, in a role on the MLS2 team? like mentoring the young guys there or are you wanting first team? No, I don't want MLS too. Uh, my passion is with the first team. If it was a different scenario where it's a different group of players, a different organization that I didn't love, maybe I wouldn't be fighting so hard to play, but you know, I love these guys. They're for me, they're my brothers. We're in a bad point in Salt Lake and you know, I brought everyone together, brought them all in the room and said, from this day forward, we're going to change this around. And everyone in that room spoke, spilt their heart out. Some were upset, some didn't understand. But at the end, everybody understood and we're all on the same page. And we promised each other that no matter what happens outside of this room, us players will make it happen. And we did. We came from last place and yeah. secured a playoff spot. And that's special. That's a special feeling, you know? And my passion is with this group. And although I wasn't able to show that on the field last year, I know in my heart I can I still have value for this team. And I'm humble enough to come into preseason here in after 13 years of playing professional soccer. If you look on the list right here of leading goal scorers in Canadian history. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that list right there. That's a hard list to make. Oh, very. That's and a it's... hard list to make. I'm prepared to still put my ego aside and not cause a fuss, still do my work in the front office, still do my school and still motivate the guys still do everything I have to do to remain a professional and go and try. 
You know, I'm humble enough to do that. And I'm doing it because I love this group of players. I'm doing it because I have, I love this organization. You know, I want to see it succeed. I want to see people across Vancouver dying to get a ticket to come to the games. You know, I want to see how can I get a Whitecaps ticket? You know, because it's tough. It's hard these days because everyone wants to watch us. You know, I want, I want to see the club get to that level, you know, increase their national brand, their global brand. I want players that I know that are playing in Europe saying, can you get me to your club? Can you get me to Whitecaps? That should be the goal, you know, and I'm prepared to check my ego and be humble and, you know, bite my tongue, go through preseason as a trialist just so I can, you know, give this group everything I got. Right, that's a fantastic way to end up. Thank you so much for your time today, Toss. Always a, a pleasure chatting to you. Good luck, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the, the year holds in store for you, hopefully both on and off the pitch. Thank you. Bye. Great stuff there from Tassaint Ricketts. Wish him all the very best on and off the pitch from a Whitecaps point of view. And, and Steve, he's a, a player we talked his sixth all-time in the Canadian leading goal scorers with his 17 goals. He's got 65 goals in 301 overall appearances in club football. His passion, he said, is still with his first team. He doesn't want to sign an MLS 2 deal. He wants to be with the first team. He still feels he's got a lot to give and contribute to this team. And he only wants to play for Vancouver. He's signed a contract with the front office. He's going to be involved there. A lot of work with diversity, but he's still working on what his exact role is going to be. He wants it to encompass as much as possible and just learn as much about being an executive and in the front office at a football club as possible. He, he's a absolutely fantastic guy, both on and off the pitch. And I do think he still has a lot to offer this team uh, in a super sub role. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I don't see him starting very many games, obviously. And in a lot of games, he might not even be on the bench. But his his presence in the dressing room uh, as a veteran, um, I think, is very, you know, important. And and there are going to be times when they're going to have to rely on a fourth or fifth striker, especially if they play two strikers up top. So you need that experience. And he might have lost a step. He might not be the greatest best best finisher, but I think he still can be hardworking enough to that he can cause issues for the back lines of MLS teams um, and and provide, even if he doesn't score the goal, he can provide enough pressure where it causes a turnover and 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 maybe somebody else scores the goal. So I think it's, it's going to be very important if he does play. And he's also a, such a great guy to have in the front office at the Whitecaps. He's got that experience from playing all over the world, so many different continents, so many different countries. And he's bringing that experience to the Whitecaps. He's learning a lot and he wants to get involved in everything. He's big on the, the fan aspect. He did the whole Stand By Me thing last year, which engaged and captured everyone's imagination. He wants to get involved more with the community diversity, inclusion, just everything like that. And, I mean, he wants to break down the boundaries for people of colour in front offices and football, of which there aren't a lot. And I just think he is such a great guy for the Whitecaps to have as part of their organisation. 
Yeah, I think I think it's good to have that kind of connection with a former player, and it it kind of it it, it engages the community. Like it's almost like a it could be the future version of Carl Valentine kind of thing, uh, but more in the front office. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And of course, there's still that fire in him to to end an MLS deal and to play for the Whitecaps. And one of his biggest rivals, I guess, for, for depth in the roster. It's not been confirmed at the time of us recording this, but it probably will be confirmed on Monday. Theo Bear is heading to Scotland to join St Johnston, last year's League and Cup double winner St Johnston in the Scottish Premier League. The deal is rumoured to be for 135000 transfer fee. It's a three or four year deal. There's a chance to make up to 350 or 450 with various add-ons, and the Whitecaps will keep 50% of any future transfers. Now, St Johnston right now are at the bottom of the Premier League. They are in a bit of a relegation battle. To put some context to that, they've been hit with injuries. David Witherspoon is out for the season. That was a big, big blow to them. They lost some of their key players on the last day of the summer transfer window, and they didn't get a chance to replace them. They've brought in six or seven players in this winter transfer window. They're within touching distance of getting off last place into the relegation spots. And I still feel they're within touching distance as well of avoiding relegation altogether and, and being entirely safe. This is a good team for Theo Bear to go into. He's going to learn a lot under a manager like Callum Davidson, who's a very exciting young manager won the cup double, as I said, in Scotland last year. He's going to get opportunities. He said in the interview that we had last episode, which if you haven't checked it out, highly recommend you you listen to our chat with, with Theo. It was very, very good. And he said he wants to play. Wherever he can get playing time is where he'll be. St Johnston is that club. Great move for him. And it's also Nick Dazovic's former club as well, Steve. Yeah, I'll, I'll lean on you with it being a perfect position. I think anywhere right now at this point where he can find playing time is, I think, vital um, for him to, uh, you know, get into like a rhythm um, where who knows if he honestly, if he has like if he gets there and, um, and, and you know, helps a little bit here. But in the, new, in the next season gets comfortable, he starts potting some goals. He could easily be called up. To the national team, it all depends on how you know how, how well because we've seen him. He's been times where he's really on form, and he's not really putting away the goals, but he's dangerous and he's got speed up top, and that's something that a, a lot of teams are looking for. Yeah, he he said in that interview that his dream is to get back into the national team setup as well, but he knows the strict and the tough competition that that he's got ahead of him. But if you're an informed striker and you're banging the goals in, this is an upgrade. He was with Ham Cam last year, so he's in second tier in Norway. You're now at the Premier League. Folk are going to look at that and think, oh, the, the bottom team, it's not a good team. This is a good team, as I explained, that's just had a lot of issues this year and they're fighting for their lives. They are, they've just had a very embarrassing cup defeat. So on a par with the Whitecaps, they, they just lost to a, a fourth tier team from Fife. Funnily enough, but he's going to the city of Perth, which is a, a lovely city. I really like Perth as a, as a city. It's a it's a small city, so it's not one of those cities where you're going to 
to get caught up in, in too much distraction, but you're close enough to Glasgow and Edinburgh. It's the gateway to the Highlands to do sightseeing and to see the country. So from that kind of standard of, of life point of view, it's a great move for Theo there. I think he's got good potential. There's going to be some St. Johnson's fans listen to this because the Courier newspaper did a, a big feature on Theo. They did a couple of articles online and, and in the newspaper tomorrow. And they did plug our last episode of the podcast as well. So I checked our stats and we've had a lot of folk from Scotland listen to that. <laughs> so if they're if they're listening to the next episode as well, glad you stayed stayed around. And if you don't know, I'm an East Five supporter. Check out our East Five podcast, Glory Days of Gold as well. But enough of the plugs. But uh, there were some St. Johnson fans very excited by what Theo can bring. They've seen his wonder goal down in, in Portland. And there's a couple of detractors going, this guy's only scored seven senior goals uh, in his whole career. He's not going to save us. Th- there's reasons that he hasn't scored goals, which is he's never had a consistent run in a team. And when yeah. he gets a consistent run, you see the best of Theo Bayer. He can play as an out-and-out striker. He can play in the wing. He's got the pace. He's got the physicality that is needed for the Scottish Premier League. I wish Theo nothing but the very best. We talked about Sam earlier. This is another guy that we've watched since 14, 15 years old. We've watched him grow up. We've watched him mature. We've watched his game come on. I'm very excited to, to see what he does in Scotland with St. Johnston. Just don't score against these five. Yeah, and the thing is, is about the Theo Bear. We mentioned it in other years too that he, like, there was a period where he wasn't this big. Um, he was like five eleven or something like that, or like, and now he's like six four. Or I can't, I can't. I think he was six four. Well, now. he done it a lot Listen of gym it. work. He mentioned in Norway, he's really super no, buff and bulked no, up. But, but, but I'm talking about that. the. Oh, you mean height? I'm talking about the growth yeah. spurt. Yeah, height wise, growth spurt. Well, that's because they he, stretched he, him like in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> um, he, he he was more of a fast player. And now he's, and the thing is, when you grab a growth spurt like that, it takes time to get used to your body. Where you, you know, remember that, like, there was one offseason where we're looking like, who's the striker? It's Theo Bear. Where did he come from? Like, how was he that tall? That's, like, that's kind of the growth spurt he had. And so it does take time to get used to. And I think that um, over these last couple of years, maybe that's what held him back a little bit. I think now playing in this league um, where, you know, he could play as a number nine. And he could, he has a physicality, but he also has a speed. It's a good combination. Manuel uh, Veth mentioned he compared him to a player that didn't do well in other leagues, but then he, when he came to uh, like the England side or uh, like England Premier League or like that kind of style of where you you have to like it's a more physical style. He he he, uh, he succeeded. He flourished. So that's maybe what the player needs. He needs somewhere where he can be physical. He doesn't have to worry about like he can get away with some stuff. Maybe it's a league that Lucas Cavallini can play with. Uh, but yeah, well, but, they're, but just, like, they're just introducing VAR, so he might not get away with as much uh, stuff as he could have done earlier yeah, so, in the season if he joined. So, uh, so but but I, I think that he, he is somewhere where he could definitely flourish. Yeah, absolutely. And th- there's been a few Canadian guys in the Scottish game. Some have done well, some haven't. Marcus Haber struggled, funnily enough, with St. Johnston as well, and he didn't have a great time there. So we wish you all the very best. We will keep you posted on his career and I'm sure we'll get him on the show again to chat about how things are going in the lovely city of Perth. We've got one more part to go and it's going to be talking about another sort of Whitecaps departure. We we mentioned it in the last show. It hadn't been official then, but we knew it was about to become official. We haven't had Steve's thoughts on it. So we'll get that and we'll also hear from the man himself in his first words 
since leaving the Whitecaps. Of course, I'm talking about Maxime Cropot, and we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Theo Bear, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, I thought, I, I've gone with two Scottish bands. Let's It's a Canadian-themed show. It's also a Canadian podcast, I guess. But I, I thought, we'll go with a Canadian song. And this is a Canadian band from British Columbia, from Vancouver Island, from 2002. Their debut album, Make Up the Breakdown. That was Hot Hot Heat, and one of my favourite songs by them, that was Bandages. I think the US American national team, you know, supporters are bandaged up right now. Well, their their pride has certainly been hurt and is, is needing bandaged up just now. But, of course, an American team has poached the, the number one keeper, well, domestic keeper in Canada, Maxime Cripple, leaving Vancouver Whitecaps. It was officially announced on Thursday, the day after our, our last podcast. We did touch on it the last show, Zach and me, because we knew it was about to get announced. But he has gone from the Whitecaps to LAFC for a million in GAM, split over three seasons, 250, 250, 500 is the, the GAM breakdown. There's also a super draft pick in 2025. There's going to also be a percentage of any sell-on fee. It's a million-dollar blockbuster deal, the highest ever trade for a goalkeeper in MLS and one of the highest interleague trades as well at the moment, although I'm pretty sure these will get broken more and more regularly in the the years to come. We gave our thoughts on it last week. We'll touch a little bit more, or I'll touch a little bit more on it, but Steve, just what's your thoughts on it? When, When you heard the news break last Wednesday that it looked like he was leaving, then it was announced initially the family reasons. It's now been said it's not family, it's personal reasons. We still don't know what that is. Max doesn't want to go into it. As I said in my article on it, we've got no right to know what it is unless Max wants to share it. And he's made it clear as of right now he doesn't. Axel Schuster said it wasn't money. But there was no way that he was going to be able to come back and play in Vancouver. Still all a little bit mysterious, but what did you make of it all? Um, it's it was surprising, definitely surprising. That's the one player I thought that would stay. Like people were mentioned that always oh, going to go to Europe or something like that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a different country he didn't do that go to, but same league. Um, I was surprised about it. I was actually surprised that where he went to LA. 
I thought maybe if like when initially I heard family, I thought, well, okay, maybe he wants to go back to uh, closer East or something like that. But clearly that wasn't the case. Um, but uh, definitely got value for what they got. I think somebody tweeted out that they, they only paid 50,000 for him Yes, uh, when they first brought him. So it's definitely value. Um, I just hope they do. The main thing is I hope they do something with that gap. They need well, to do yeah. something. Well, they just that, can't that's sit the on thing. It. There's no point having it and not doing anything with it. Well, we'll come to the, the gam side of it in a sec. Let's just stay on Max just yeah. now, though. He's a great keeper. He is the kind of player that you want to build your team around. LAFC desperately did a keeper. Now, in fact, JJ and Har had asked, why LA? Why, why would you, you trade him to a Western Conference rival? And then Axel said, well basically it's because we have a value of what we feel he's worth in this case a million dollars and there was no other club that was able to match that valuation that was needing a goalkeeper so LAFC was the only club that that had that money now of course if they had been able to wait a couple of weeks you've got Matt Turner leaving New England Revolution to go over to, to Arsenal and all of a sudden the Revolution in a different conference to you are now needing a starting goalkeeper, and they would maybe have decided to come in and, and outbid LAFC. So I did ask Axel, why was such a rush to do the trade? Because Max was obviously going away with Canada, so you had a couple of weeks to to see if you could get an even better deal than LAFC, so you're not immediately strengthening a Western Conference rival. Here's what Axel had to say about that. What was the urgency for for getting this deal done? Max is obviously going to be away for a couple of weeks with the, the national team. You talked about there was no other teams that were maybe willing to pay what LAFC were paying. But obviously, things can move fast. New England Revolution's been rumoured to be losing their goalkeeper today. They might be then in the market. Why was the urgency to get this done now? Could you not have waited a couple of weeks to see if somebody would maybe match LAFC's offer? First of all, we wanted to get it solved because uh, we also have to make decisions. So uh, it's not like that LAFC would wait, that there's a guarantee that LAFC will wait forever because there's one more thing you have to know. And that is also a little bit challenging, uh, was a little bit challenging uh, in all of that. Max is a foreigner for every single US club. So he's occupying a foreign spot in a, in a US team means with that offer that LAFC was making to us, they could go on every single market in the world and try to get a goalkeeper uh, because uh, it doesn't make a difference if they sign somebody from Europe, from Asia, from Africa, from South America, or if they sign Mexico Paul. So there was also some form of a deadline by LAFC because if we could not commit to something, they would have to solve their problem because they need a goalkeeper. So. It isn't that we haven't checked in with, with, other, uh, with other clubs and we have checked in about other possibilities, but, uh, and, and also the one you mentioned, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't even close. Um, the, 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 the offers haven't been even close or the possibilities those clubs have because you also need a club that has this amount of game because uh, it's even different if you can go for a and buy somebody into maybe a DP spot or a U22 spot, or if you have to trade for somebody in the league because uh, you have to pay with scam and not every club has that amount of scam. 
available. So long story short, um, yes, we could wait longer, but um, LAFC would maybe sign somebody else and nobody else comes up. And then we would sit here with the problem because it isn't. And once again, it wasn't about we want to sell the player. It wasn't about we want to find the best offer and we have, uh, we, if not, then if nobody's paying what we're asking for, then he just has to stay here. Uh, we had to get to a good solution for us, for Max, and, um, and also to give us enough time to do now the right things with, with what we got. So Axel there, just saying that LAFC, the only team that wanted to come up with that money and that valuation, because Max is classed as a domestic player in the US, LAFC could have gone anywhere in the world and, and signed a goalkeeper. So they didn't think anyone else within MLS was going to come up with that million dollar valuation. So that, that's, that's why they went with it. So I mean, it makes sense in that regard. The whole GAM side of things, though, I, I did say to Axel, I thought it kind of devalued the deal a little bit with it being spread out. But he said, no, it's actually the opposite. Because right now, he said, they have tons of GAM in the bank and they don't actually need much GAM this year. So that's why they've spread it out. But the then he also said, you, you can draw future GAM forward. And it's like, what is the point of it then? Well, you could you could trade like that gam, like if you like to somebody else or something in the well, future. Yeah. But you, also, we're getting two fifty this year, which would buy an international roster spot if we needed. But the, the the point the point is that he says that we have plenty of gam this year, and we don't. But we don't. And it's contradiction the way he said it. It felt weird. And again, it might be something that's lost in uh, like him trying to translate it. Maybe it makes more sense in German than what he's trying to mention. But it's probably something that we just don't. We're not getting it. Hopefully, it gets cleared up. But. They, if they have lots of gam, I don't know if they have lots of gam or they just don't need gam this year. That's the thing. Um, if it's, they have lots, they need to use it then. Well, he said that there's a lot of gam in the bank. I, I was just picturing the gam bank and how you would <laughs> withdraw it. It's like cryptocurrency, I guess. MLS yeah, were I ahead guess. of the game. For sure. Um, Max hasn't said too much so far about his departure because he's gone straight into the, the Canadian national team setup. He is going to have a press conference when he gets to LA, so possibly end of this coming week or maybe the week after. He was put up to media, though, uh, just before the, the Honduras game, the, before the squad flew off to Honduras on Tuesday. And it was told only one question, which was going to be to a, a guy that works for LAFC about the deal. But good old Jay Janowar from Global managed to sneak a couple of questions in as well. It was a weird scrum, I'll, I'll be honest, because it was a nine-minute scrum, two minutes in English, seven minutes in French, and everything else had to be about the Canadian national team, which I get because he is with Canada, but obviously if you're putting Max up, you know that you're going to ask about that. So here is Max, though, just talking about the trade, not really giving too much away. Max, greetings from Vancouver. It's been a week since the trade was announced. You are dearly missed already. Uh, it's going to be nice to see in Canadian colours. Max, can, can you shed light for, for everyone here on the West Coast? Axel Schuster said it was a very special personal situation in regards to moving you. There's been all kinds of concern for you, your family, and, and your daughter. Is everyone okay there? And can you shed some light on, on why you decided to move and, 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 and a message to the Vancouver Whitecaps fans? 
So basically, uh, Jay, uh, it was a it was a personal reason, and uh, I wanted to thank the the organization of Vancouver for the the last three years. You know, they've given me the opportunity to to prove myself in the league. And uh, to be fair, uh, it's only personal reason, and a lot of people have uh, messaged me about my family, which uh, we are all healthy and everybody's fine, everybody's happy, and so. Uh, we're really, really looking forward to, to go in LA and uh, to represent LAFC. What's your fondest memories of being in Vancouver? Uh, honestly, uh, the contact that I have with, with uh, everybody was greeting me uh, since day one. You know, uh, I'm a social person. I think everybody knows that. And uh, in Vancouver, uh, ever since uh, I, I stepped foot, everyone was really, uh, really, really genuine with me. And so uh, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for, for the past three years and and, uh, you know, uh, friendship is forever. And so uh, there's some business decision and such, but uh, friendship is forever. So Max Cripo there, yeah, still none the wiser really, but he seems very enthused, Steve, and very excited to be going to LAFC. And to be honest, who wouldn't be playing in front of those fans? Because they have got some of the best supporters in, in MLS. The atmosphere down there is amazing. For sure. And he's going to be, he's not going to be like, uh, he's going to be pretty busy because LAFC has a very similar uh, back line where they let a lot of shots, a lot of chances on that. So he's going to, he's, he's definitely going to earn his money when he's down there. I mean, that's the thing though. We've immediately strengthened a Western Conference rival that's going to be battling for the playoff spots. And we've instantly made ourselves weaker. As good as Thomas Asal is, he isn't as good as, as Max Cripeau. Now It could I- be, though. One thing I want to mention about Thomas Asal, too, a lot of people saying that he's not as good. The thing is, we don't know. Like the thing, he, When he came in, when we knew Max Cripeau was gone, uh, when MLS back tournament was back tournament, he had a good stretch. Maybe he's not a good backup keeper. Maybe he needs to be a starter to be that solid yeah. guy. So maybe that's why they have so much confidence in him, because... Maybe he once he knows he's number one, he's going to elevate the game and become that number one. So it could be that he ends up being that best player. Um, the I, I don't know who they're going to bring in as a backup because right now I don't think it should be Ivan Bomer or whatever. Uh, Isaac Bomer, yeah. I Isaac Bomer. Right now you've I three don't... keepers in camp. You've got Isaac Bomer and Max Anker, who who's called Max Two Point Yeah. For me, Max, I've seen him play a couple of games with the 19s and maybe the under-23s, but he, he's, a, he's a decent keeper. I'd probably put him ahead of Bomer, but he's oh, really? your guy that's going to be playing MLS too. Yeah. So you need to bring in a, a good backup. But Axel's already a... come out and said Hassel's the number one. So right away, this a lot of keepers will be like, well, there's no point in me going there because I'm not going to get a fair crack at, at getting minutes. But if they think of that, if you think like like we look at Minnesota last year, everybody had um, I'm, Sinclair. I'm blank, Sinclair as a starter, and he only lasted a few games, and the other guy came in. Yep. So it could be the same situation where somebody who thinks they're a starter, but they they realize that Hassal might not be able to make it, and so they have that opportunity to overtake the number one. So yeah. a, a backup who wants to be a number one would be one of this would be a perfect position for them. I think it could be a veteran we get and it's a guy that's probably a backup already in MLS yeah. or maybe a USL keeper that just wants a change of scenery For and sure. is maybe happy to, to push it because <laughs> Evan Newton's now gone as well. It, it, I thought it was very fitting 
in the week that Meatloaf died, he had that hit, two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three keepers leaving is bad, from a Whitecaps point of view, and just keeping the Meatloaf theme, I would do anything for gloves. But I won't do that, said Max Cripo about coming back to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been working on those. But we'll, we'll see what happens. It's all departure so far from a Whitecaps point of view. We'll see if there's any additions to come. Whitecaps will be training this week in Vancouver before jetting down to one of Steve's favourite places, sunny San Diego, for a, a spell and some preseason games there. I bet you wish you were going down. All the time. Whenever San Diego's involved, I want to be down there. Yeah. That is pretty much it for this show. Just before we go, though, we've got time to bring you this week's Wavelength. And this month, we've been playing songs, World Cup songs, recorded either by the the players themselves or by bands or musicians for teams going to the World Cup. And I'm, I'm going to play a song that we have played on the show before, going way back to episode 129. It was our first Wavelength special, 30th of September 2015. And it was a, a song we did all on on football songs. And this is, to my knowledge, the, the only Canadian World Cup song. It's by a group called The Sons of Andrew. And this is, O Canada, we'll proudly play for you. Sons of Andrew there from 1986, 
cheering Canada on to the World Cup in Mexico. That was, oh Canada, we'll proudly play for you. And I just want to challenge all Canadian musicians out there, get your thinking hats on now, get writing, get some Canadian World Cup songs penned, because we're going to need them and we want to play them on the show. And if somebody wants to do like a um, a redo of that song, that would be great too. Oh, like that'd be cover. good as well, yeah. Yeah, a cover of that song, an updated cover would be really cool. Get a nice punky version, that's what I want. Yeah. But that is it for this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show. We will be back soon. Just before we go though, Steve, any final thoughts, anything you want to say, anything you learned this week, where can people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. Um, I think... Uh, I think I feel like uh, I'm not. I'm even elevated. I've been talking about the Canadian national team, how they keep elevating themselves. I think at this point, I'm not cock a hoop. I think I'm beaver a hoop this week. Hey. So, so I think that's where I am right now. Let's try and get that going. Beaver hoop. That will be the, our new thing. I'm Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada. YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFT in Canada for our videos on there. Give us a like and subscribe. And if you want to leave some reviews on any of the podcast services, that would be very much appreciated as well. Only if they're good ones, of course. Um, we will be back soon. I, I learned this week that I might have to start looking at flights to Qatar again. I'm still so drawn there, but not wanting to go at the same time. Terrible, terrible quandary to be in. But it looks like Canada's there. Can Scotland yeah. join them? It's exciting times. We will be back soon. Zach will be back soon as well. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Mon the caps. And allez la rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.